Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. This week on the show, we are joined by Tony Lloyd, and he gets us looking at those moments that really matter in our life. There are these snapshot moments where we realize we do not live forever. These defining moments can come from anything, a health scare, relationship breakdown, or just searching for who we truly are. These moments help define who we truly are and just how much we are capable of. You don't grow because of the trauma. You grow because of how you fit the trauma into the story of your life. And that the way you tell that story becomes who you are and how you see yourself and how the world sees you and how you show up in the world. And so it's really important, I think, that we we take these inventories of our strengths. We understand that that there are some some very dark clouds, but there are some silver linings to those dark clouds and that that we can all benefit from that. I love this episode as it is so in line with the work and support that I offer around creating positive changes in your life, whether that is after a death or a mini death. What's a mini death? Well, I speak about mini deaths in my next book, Good Grief, The A to Z Approach of Modern Day Grief Healing, which is out in September with Obooks. So come join Tony and I now as we talk about mortality, post-traumatic growth, taking ownership of your life, grief, and even camping trips. Got you curious? Let's go. So today on the show, I am joined by Tony Lloyds, and he is an author, a speaker, and a coach. So hello there, Tony. Hi, it's so good to see you, Shelley. Bless you. Welcome to the show. I can't wait for you to share your story of positive change. Let's dive straight in. So I, I, I've uh, I begun to think of my story kind of in three chapters, and what I call it is my um, three moments that matter the most. And so, you know, you know that in your life, if you look back in your life, there are probably these moments that matter the most to you, right? So maybe you met your spouse. Uh, for some people, it's the day they left their spouse, right? It's, you know, or maybe the day your kids are born or all this. But for me, um, I had these three moments and it's, I, I call them my moment of mortality, my moment of obligation, my moment of action. So it's kind of my story in three chapters, if you will. Uh, and so for me, my moment of mortality, I think we all have had this moment where it becomes not theoretical, but it comes really clear to us that we will not live forever, that someday life will be over. And for a lot of people I talk to, um, they, you know, like I found a lump, 
right? That moment where you found the lump and then your life just turns upside down. Or, um, you know, you got that phone call in the middle of the day that you weren't expecting and, um, you know, something has happened to a near loved one. And, and so we all have had that moment of mortality. My moment, I was uh, 14 years old. And I'll just, I'll tell the story like this. Um, I was waking up. And you know how when you're waking up, you're a little bit disoriented. And I had this sense of something cold on the back of my head. And I recognized, you know, it sort of started to come to, I recognized that my eyes are closed. And I start thinking, what is that on the back of my head? Why is that so cold? And I open my eyes and I am under 15 feet of water. Wow. And I look around and I recognize that the water to my left and the water to my right are darker and the water in front of me is lighter. So that must be up. And what had happened just about two minutes before I had been racing a friend across a lake. We had been swimming across this lake and he, he was a much better swimmer than I was. And he had been leading. And in my 14 year old ego, I was trying to keep up with him. And I got about halfway across that lake. And I realized that I could not swim all the way across the lake. And I had um, spotted something that I thought was rocks sticking out of the water. And when I swam to those rocks, it turns out that they were waterlogged logs, very large logs um, with just the tip of them sticking out of the water. And so what I thought was solid ground turned out to be these logs. And I was in about 15 feet of water. And I ran into a lot of trouble and I was you know, slapping the water and coughing and the water was going in my mouth. And I was, you know, like yelling for help. And this friend of mine, Tom, who was racing me, he sort of swam just out of my reach. He was very smart to not be near me. Um, but he, uh, he, was, he was trying to shout instructions and was like all this cacophony and all this stuff, you know, splashing water, slapping the water, coughing, yelling, and then boom, I'm waking up in the bottom of the lake. And I guess I had blacked out enough that I would, had just floated to the bottom of the lake and I was there. And I think that for anyone who has been in a situation where you, you know, maybe you fell asleep at the wheel and your car has drifted over into the next lane, or you, you suddenly find this moment where you go, you know what, it's no longer theoretical that I'm going to die. And, and you know, the moments before that, I, at the time, I'm 14 years old. I'm five feet, 10 inches tall. I am 125 pounds, which is just, I look like, you know, a skinny little matchbook, uh, matchstick with a bright red face full of pimples. And my social awkwardness and all that kind of stuff, it had all mattered. But when you hit that moment, it's like, no, no, life is much more important than this, right? And, and so I found something solid at the bottom of the lake and I pushed off of it and I ended up on my back and I swam the rest of the way, sort of a slow backstroke, sort of half floating, half swimming. And it took me quite a while, but eventually I made my way to the shore and I went on. But it, it's in these moments of mortality, it's like our priority list changes completely. 
And when I, when I was laying in the bottom of that lake, I mean, all that social awkwardness, it just didn't matter anymore. The pimples didn't matter anymore. My, you know, whether any girl would ever like me or not, you know, none of that really mattered anymore. What mattered to me is that one, I wanted to live. And then two, if I did live, I wanted my life to have purpose and meaning. And that at 14 years old, that, you know, like, what does that even mean, right? Uh, but but I, I knew then that I wanted to have purpose and meaning. And I know that, you know, you've probably had those moments of mortality and your listeners have probably had those moments of mortality. Um, and I could go on a little bit to that moment of obligation, but I do want to pause there for a second and give you a chance to jump in. Yeah, I mean, it sounds almost like a near-death experience that you went through, but you're saying it doesn't have to be that. There's other ways of having this wake-up call, you know, like I have sort of gone really sleepy behind the wheel, or even like when I've had diagnoses throughout my life, it is that sort of like, oh, actually time is more precious than I thought. So no, it's really valuable the way you've shared about how you can have that moment of mortality presented to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I... um. I want to kind of think about then, you know, as a 14 year old, what does that look like that if I'm going to live a life of purpose and meaning, what does that even look like? And so honestly, I didn't know. Yeah, I went to school the next day. That's what I did. You know, know, the bullies are still there. And, you know, I didn't I didn't transport to some magical world. I just, you know, I went on with my life. Um, And through the years, I tried a lot of different things about what would living a life of purpose and meaning look like. And so I, you know, I tried on a lot of it, it, you know, a friend of mine said change is sort of like buying a new shirt that you never would have worn before. You know, maybe your, maybe your spouse buys something for you and they give it to you as a gift. You go, I wouldn't have picked that out. (laughs) (laughs) And so you don't have to like throw it on and then run out and meet all your friends that day. You could put it on and walk around the house and see what that looks like. And, you know, you could sort of look in the mirror a little bit or wear it for an afternoon, see if that feels right to you. Right. So I, I tried a lot of different things through my life, but I think for me, um, for every, um, every person that I know who has made a big impact in the world, they come up on this moment of obligation where they see something and they go, mm, darn it, that's mine. And I own that. And now I've got to go do something about it. Um, so I, you know, I have a podcast called Social Entrepreneur. And I interview people like there's a guy, Sebastian Sarju, who saw plastic blowing around his, his home in Argentina. And he goes, I have to do something about plastic. So today he makes things out of plastic and he sells it. And it's, a, you know, out of unrecyclable plastic. And he's, you know, making a difference in that way. Um, or there are a lot of stories like that, right? And you probably on your show, you've probably talked to a lot of people who just came to this moment, they go, yeah, that's mine to own. And you've probably had that in your own life, right? With your own grief and the own, the things that you've gone through. So uh, for me, I, um, I grew up through a corporate life and I climbed the corporate ladder and I was, um, you know, part of the executive team. Um, and I've been in Fortune 500 companies, very large organizations. Um, and over the years, you know, I'm trying to find purpose and meaning by leading teams and doing leadership development and doing all these things. But uh, one day I was at work and 
our government relationships uh, person came to me and he said, we're going to go to Washington, D.C., our you know, U.S. capital, and we're going to lobby uh, on behalf of the company. And I, you know, I mean, I've done this kind of thing before. You know, you go in, you're looking for more favorable tax terms or you're looking for, you know, some relief on something that is a ridiculous uh, regulation or something. So I just go, OK, what are we going to talk about? And I hesitate to almost say this because it's sort of still in the news here in the U.S., but um, he said we're, people are trying to raise the minimum wage here, and we want to go to Washington, D.C., and we want to fight against that. And the truth is that I, I back cricket for the other team, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that 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 I, I believe that if we don't pay a living wage, then it harms our communities, it harms our employees, it harms you know, the, the, just the entire um, institution of our country breaks down when we don't pay people a living wage. And so I recognize that I was working in a system where, uh, and I'd seen this again and again, where within corporations, it's like the shareholders, the people who own the stock, they win and every other stakeholder loses, right? So the, the uh, community loses, the employees lose, the customers lose, everybody loses when it comes to choices and trade-offs and it's going to help or harm the shareholders, the people who own stock in the company, this, the shareholders always win. And so I started writing this series of blog posts. Here I am, a you know, Fortune 500 executive, and I'm writing this thing, and it's called My Jerry Maguire Moment. <laughs> and if you remember the movie Jerry Maguire, he had this moment where he wrote this manifesto, and um, it was called The Things We Think and Do Not Say. And so I started this blog, and I started writing these blog posts about the things I think and do not say, and about how, you know, like uh, how... One, do we really have to, do shareholders always have to win? Is that true? And there are some legal fiduciary reasons why that could be true. Um, and then if so, is that a sustainable business model? And, you know, for me, because it was the thing that was in my hand, right? So I, I didn't know anything about plastic and how to save the world from all the plastic filling up the ocean. I didn't know anything about how to solve hunger, but I recognize that business itself had this broken system, and isn't there a better way? Um, and um, you know, um, uh, Ellie Weasel, uh, Weisel, who uh, was a Holocaust survivor, he said, "We must take sides because neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim." And so if you think about things like, you know, civil rights, or you think about, you know, um, environmental activism, or, you know, racial inequality, or whatever it is, we can't be neutral. And so I, I, I challenged the system. And, and so that was kind of like my moment of obligation. But my moment of action came just a few, uh, probably about eight weeks later. And I was in seeing my, my manager, and we we're just talking about things. And, and he's like, you seem down. And I go, yeah, I kind of am. And he goes, are you unhappy at work? And I go, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, uh, you know, what's going on? And so we talked about it. And then I just said, you know what? I, I, think, I think I'm done. And you know, he, he's a great guy. He's like a great friend. 
And he's like, you what? And so, you know, I walked off the job that day. And I, you know, one of the things about being a corporate executive is they handcuff you with these cascading bonuses. And so if you walk away today, you've got like three years of bonuses that are sort of tied up and it's a significant amount of money. And so I had to take that step away. And so that, that was kind of my story. I, I went off, I did other things today. You know, today I'm an author, I'm a speaker, a coach, I, you know, have a podcast and all the things that you talked about right at the beginning. But, but I think for me, those three things, and if you look at your own life, you're going to find that pattern, I think. You're going to find that sort of that moment of mortality where you understand you're not going to live forever, your moment of obligation. And then the only question is, what's your moment of action? What are you going to do that happens after that? So- I'll just stop talking there, but uh, but that's my story. I think it's really powerful, and I love the obligation. I work with a life coach, as I'm like quite open about, and she's brilliant. And she was saying, like, you know, we have to move away from the blame game. You know, you have to own it. And I know when you were speaking, I was thinking about my own fertility journey, which got nothing to do with the corporate world, but we have yeah. you know quite diverse listenership. Right, right. So for me, when I was told to terminate our last child because she wasn't well enough to make it through pregnancy or onto the earthly plane it was kind of rock bottom for me Tony I was just like I don't have the strength to carry on I don't have the tools but you do have it inside you you do have the power to create positive change and you certainly have the ability to take ownership of it so I did have my semicolon moment where I thought do I have my life sentence here or do I go all in to the action stage and I took ownership of it it's like you know that's the medical opinion but I know my body and I'm very spiritual and I'd seen a baby girl to come for many years and I took that ownership. So when you were saying it, I thought that's amazing because mine's from my fertility journey. And from yeah. that, I resigned from nursing. I now an author and a podcaster and I help people create positive changes at their darkest points. So I absolutely love the obligation and that ownership because at the end of the day, I don't want any of our listeners, any of the people that read our books to wake up and say like, well, I wanted to do this in my life, but you know, I had to wait for my child went to like nursery, school, got married, I was a grandmother or till my <laughs> husband had done his career. And that's just not taking ownership. That's the total opposite, <laughs> isn't it? You're not living your life. You're living someone's expectations of your life or you're right. just not living really. You're just existing. And so whether it's corporate, fertility, being in a job you hate, doing a job for the money when it doesn't go with your ethics and morals like yourself, you know, just own it. You know, every choice we've made until this very point has got us to where we are sort of thing. No, I loved your story. And it's interesting that you said about the Holocaust survivor, because when you were talking about purpose and meaning, I thought of um, Viktor Frankl. Right. Yeah. Because he says, um, I'm going to paraphrase and get it terribly wrong, but somewhere along the lines that we don't suffer from suffering alone. We only suffer having no meaning. Like, why are we having this lesson? Why are we going through what we're going through? And so when you said about the Holocaust and it is, again, it's that, you know, that moment of mortality, they face the most awful inhumane things, right? but they owned that moment, took action and, you know, most inspirational people at their time. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Victor F. Frankel, he's, he's just, he's amazing. And, um, he, you know, he, his book was called Man's Search for Meaning, right? That, that he understood that he was suffering, but he said, I, I can either say I'm suffering for no reason whatsoever, the universe is cruel, or 
this suffering can have a meaning and, and he made it the meaning to come out of this and to tell this story, to be able to tell the story of the people in the camp who gave away their last piece of bread, right? They just, they, they were few and far between, but they provided an example that in any situation, they can take away everything you have except your choice of what it means. And you get to choose that, right? There are, there are people who go through trauma and they bounce back, right? That, that is called resilience, that we, we go through trauma, we come back to where we, you know, we're up here, we sink down, we come back up to where we were, that's called resilience. And we're, you know, in a pandemic, many of us are going through that, right? Um, there are people who go through trauma and then they get kind of stuck in that trauma and they, they don't know how to get out of that trauma. And, and so that is called post-traumatic stress disorder, that, that, that they, they are still reliving that trauma and can't quite process it and come out of the other side. But there are people who go through trauma, the trauma knocks them down, they acknowledge that they're down, trauma is an awful thing. Um, and yet when they come back, they don't just come back to where they were, they build back better. They, they come back to a stronger place and that's called post-traumatic growth. And there are some people who experience that, that, that they come out better at the end. And a lot of that has to do with that internal work about how you deal with that trauma. I find that fascinating because I've seen that a lot. And like my background's nursing, yeah. even though I'm an author now, but I saw it a lot with grief. So like I worked as a chemotherapy nurse for most of my career. Mm. and sadly a lot of that would end be end of life palliative care and so when the patient died the family kind of left behind and you'd see that that they get stuck in the story that becomes their story like you know I'm yeah. the daughter of a mum that died I'm you know and that becomes their that life chapter becomes their life story yeah because they're not taking that ownership and they haven't even got the resilience you spoke of where you come back and think right the life I expected has gone, but I'm back, I'm living, you know, that kind of thing, facing your mortality. Yep. Somebody's died, but it wasn't me. I'm carrying on. That's kind of the resilience. Right. The right. post-traumatic stress is that the grief we see when they get stuck thinking, I don't know how to live without my mum, my partner, my child, right. which I can understand yeah. totally. I can understand right. it. But I love being the annoying woman that I am with a positive take on things, the post-traumatic <laughs> growth. Yeah. So that's fascinating tell me some more about that yeah yeah so um you know in post-traumatic growth we you know the 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 results the benefit of of post-traumatic growth um and you've seen it so if you've been working with families who have been grieving who've gone through all this trauma you know what this looks like that some families they come back and they recognize i went through this horrible horrible experience and they can kind of do this inventory and go look at the strengths i had that I did not know I could call on, right? So that, that sense of personal strength can come from it. And sometimes it can bring us closer in our relationships that we can, we can actually bond with people as you know, um, there, there's a guy named Gary Smalley uh, and his writing partner was John Trent. And many years ago, he did this, um, this documentary uh, where he, he went in and he, interview he went to like civic and church organizations and he said who in your uh in your um uh, area of influence here who are families that you would say are very close-knit families 
And so they, you know, these organizations identified people, they go, that's a very close knit family. So they went and interviewed all these close knit families. And they said, you know, what do you all have in common? So they did a whole bunch of stuff. And they crunched the data. And at the end, what they came up with was what they all had in common was camping. That they, that they went camping together. They're like, camping cannot be the secret of close-knit <laughs> families. But what they found was, they said, well, let's just try camping with our families. And so they went out and they went camping with their families. And what they found was camping is often shared trauma. Like, you know, the, the tent blows over in the middle of the night and there's lightning strikes around and the bear comes up and gets near your tent and all this. <laughs> and he said, and, and one of two things happens. Either you, a few weeks later, you either are bonded over that where you go, you remember that time that bear came and knocked over the pole on Johnny's tent? Wasn't that hysterical? And they're all just laughing, right? Or you turn on each other and you go, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. No, it's your fault, right? So as long as you don't turn on each other, those relationships on the backside of trauma can actually be stronger. And I know that you've probably seen this where people go through that trauma and they just, they break apart because the trauma was too much for their relationships. But it can be, as long as you don't turn on one another, as long as you hold on to each other through that trauma, you can actually actually have closer relationships. And then you can have this greater appreciation for life when you go through trauma that, man, whew, I mean, look at the sunshine. You know, the storm is behind me. Look at that sunshine. That's just amazing. I can't believe that. You know, look at how good ice cream tastes. I forgot how good ice cream tastes, right? Because you've come through that and you have greater appreciation for life. You can see new possibilities that maybe if I'm that strong, maybe I could do something more. Or a lot of people go through like a spiritual growth. They, they, this purpose and meaning, and it becomes a strong spirituality. And so the, there are three basic sort of how-tos, right? You know, there's some things that would predict whether or not you're going to have post-traumatic growth. You know, things like, you know, optimism and the, your locus of control. You think that I'm in control, not the world is in control. So these are things that predict going into it but let's say you've gone into the trauma and you don't you, you don't know how to get out of it right you don't know how to get unstuck and how to grow um three basic things so number one is process what happened um you've got to, it's just like grief you <laughs> you know um i once was seeing a psychologist and we were talking about grief and she said you know i'm a psychologist i'm an expert on grief and she said, and when my mother died, I sort of like in my head, I was going through this checklist of, you know, oh, yes, I'm in the anger stage now. Oh, yes, I'm now in the, you know, and so I know the seven stages of grief. And as I went through them, I'm like, okay, check, check, check. I went right through that, didn't I? And she said, about a year later, my husband on our anniversary just gave me a single rose. And it was just this most beautiful moment. He gave me this rose. And she said, you know, a few days later, I came home from the grocery store and I walked through the front door and I had two bags of groceries in my arms and I looked on the table and the rose was dead and I dropped both bags of groceries and cried my eyes out because I had never really processed that grief. And so you, you can't deny it. You can't pretend it didn't happen. Um, you know, something big has happened here. Right. So you're going to have to process that. And part of that is this constructive self-disclosure, constructive self-disclosure. So you've got to talk about what happened. And part of that, that post-traumatic growth is how that fits into your narrative of yourself. Right. It, like you said, I am a person whose mother died. I am a, you know, so, so 
sharing your story, telling your story in a way that you remember that, oh, by the way, I am strong. Oh, by the way, I'm still alive. Oh, by the way, you know, I have all these strengths that I'm bringing forward to me. And then the last thing is sort of doing that inventory of your strengths. So doing strength finders, doing whatever it is to just sort of say, wow, what did I find within myself that I can call upon in the worst set of circumstances? What, what are those strengths? And so inventorying those strengths and, and recognizing them and then bringing them into your story and moving forward with that. So I feel like I've talked too long about this, but uh, post-traumatic growth, that's what that's about. I find it absolutely fascinating. I was smiling. I was smiling from the camping because you're saying how camping can like bring you together or separate you. And I'm pretty sure camping's probably noted as why my parents divorced. And I know my mom <laughs> listens to the show, but do you know what I mean? It's definitely more post-traumatic stress disorder than a time for you know relationship growth for my parents. Right. right <laughs> and right, camping right. in North Wales with horizontal hair. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but what I love is he reminded me of my second book, which is Good Grief, because it's kind of controversial mm -hmm. given that it's about grief and I'm making it into a positive change. But I'm a yeah. positive change expert. And it's exactly what you were saying, sort of like, you know, when we go through a trauma, like whether we're finding ourselves in the bottom of a riverbed or our you know, mum's died, we've been given a diagnosis or anything. I mean, you know, when we have that death in our life, there's still chances like a new beginning. There's, you know, if you've been a carer for someone for years, there's almost like a relief, a joy, an optimism of what could be in the future. And people don't look at that. They think, oh, it's going to be five years for the first milestone, never going to get over them. And yeah. that's not true. It's just what we're fed. Yeah. And when you're saying about, you know, the coping and the construction and the inventory of strengths, I love that because in my book and in my work as well, I talk about what I call mini deaths. And that's where no one's actually died, but a way of life has died. Because yeah. to me, grief is when we lose something with which we have an emotional connection. So if we lose our health, a job, a relationship, our confidence, a dream we had, that's a mild grief reaction. It's a grief process we go through. Yeah. But I think we have many deaths in life. We have these life lessons, not to try and kill us off, Tony, at all, <laughs> but to build up the coping strategies. So right. when you do get to that point, like, you know, I'm saying my mum's alive and well, but, you know, when we do lose a parent or someone dies, yeah, we've actually already been through a grief process before we got there. You know, it's almost right. like a little sick inbuilt manual we're born with that by the time you get to your first major trauma, you'll have had some skills, you'll have those tools within you. So I love that, but I've never heard of post-traumatic growth, but I speak of spiritual emergence or a cultural right. beauty right. in my book. It's, it's the same thing in a way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it, I don't want to be dismissive and say that if you go through trauma, you're going to grow or else, you know, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it, I don't want to be dismissive of people's trauma because I know, I mean, the entire world is going through trauma right now. And, and so I don't want to be dismissive of that. And I think that is a danger. You know, some, some people cope by, um, by engaging and some people coach by, uh, uh, cope by disengaging. And, and so disengaging can be a coping mechanism for a period of time. But if you find yourself, you know, constantly refreshing your Facebook feed or constantly reading your news scroll or constantly somewhere else where you're out of your body and you're out of your head and you're out of your mind, you're just sort of off somewhere else 
eventually that becomes like the place you get stuck. And so you're going to have to come back and deal with that trauma. And it's a, it's not an easy thing to do, but, but I think the, the difference, in, it, the most important difference, I think, you know, and there, and I'm not an expert on post-traumatic growth, but I, you know, fairly well-versed in it. Um, one of the biggest differences I think isn't it's you don't grow because of the trauma you grow because of how you fit the trauma into the story of your life. And that the way you tell that story becomes who you are and how you see yourself and how the world sees you and how you show up in the world. And so it's really important. I think that we, we take these inventories of our strengths. We understand that, that there are some, some very dark clouds, but there are some silver linings to those dark clouds and that, that we can all benefit from that. That was really powerful when you said that, you know, we don't grow because of the trauma. I thought that was really powerful. But it's a real light bulb moment for me when you said about, there's always like, I don't want to go back to the camping thing, but there's always two camps of thought. <laughs> I had flashbacks <laughs> to my childhood, Tony. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the two camps of thought that either you sort of, engage or disengage and I think I've seen so many people disengage and that's a natural thing isn't it psychology like I did a um, clinical hypnotherapy and past life regression mm. and at times of like you know end of life rape all those traumatic things the body your soul if you like naturally disengages so it's not present with your body like you know when people die in car crashes I'd like to think the soul's already left you disengage but we do disengage in life as well and I always call it like sticky plaster syndrome and I see it a lot of grief but there's so much in life where people just think I'm not dealing with it I'm gonna put a sticky plaster on it you know and plasters are horrible things really because underneath you're creating an environment where everything is just decaying rotting getting worse right. and you have to get to that stage in life but not saying everyone does get to that stage in life where you have to sort of you know, rip off that plaster and deal with the wound underneath right yeah and it's not a pleasant experience is it no not at all and it's it's almost as traumatic as the original trauma, isn't it? Because, right. you know, it's going back over something you'd rather not remember. But I still think we should try and do it. If that's, you know, where we're stuck. You said a beautiful thing earlier about when you make that life chapter, you know, the whole life story. But you have to sort of change it. You know, at the end of the day, we are writing our own life story. We've got to try and right. write the best story we can, you know, become the hero in the story, if you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we need a guide on the side like you, right? I mean, you know, Luke Skywalker had his uh, Obi-Wan and his Yoda and Luke might've been the hero of the story, but I think we all need someone like you who's a, you know, a guide, someone who can go along with us. Yeah. I think that's the thing what I've learned from my own sort of like trauma in life, but also observing it from my nursing days and just life itself, Tony, if we're honest, you know, we're stronger when we have connection and whether that's connection with ourself or, you know, with a counselor, a doctor, a friend, a stranger, we're never really alone. You know, yeah. we have to dive deeper and find something that works for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've absolutely loved this. I think it's just so powerful what you've been sharing and it's going to resonate with everyone. Like you said at the beginning about the near death experience or the, falling asleep behind the wheel and to me it's my fertility so everyone can relate to a moment they've had in their life where you think oh god actually suddenly I realized time is precious so if people are starting to wake up listening to the episode today what one positive change could they do you know um 
uh, you mentioned right at the beginning, I think that, you know, I'm an author. And so I wrote this book a few years ago and it's called uh, Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. And so I took, you know, like I, I uh, had interviewed 150 people and I was trying to sort through what did they tell me? And I, I just finally figured out, you know, I'm hearing the same 10 pieces of advice again and again. So I write this book and it's got, you know, these 10 chapters and blah, blah, blah. But in the last chapter, I was like, if I took all this and I just wrote it down on a little sticky note and I stuck it on the side of my computer, what, you know, if I just, if, if I gave somebody that one sticky note, so this is the only thing you need to remember from all this, what would it be? And, and here's the sentence that came to me. It was miracles find you while you're in motion. It's kind of like we're surrounded by this cloud of miracles, these tiny little coincidences, these moments of serendipity, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, right? These chance moments that happen to us. It's like we're surrounded by them. But if you're sitting on the sofa and you're sitting on your hands and you're sitting still, you don't run into them. It's the moment that you stand up. It's the moment that you go into motion. It's the moment that you start taking action. That's when you happen, you know, you're driving home, you're really tired, but there's this like networking meeting that's at the club nearby and you go, okay, I'll swing in there and I'll meet a few people and boom, you run into somebody who just changes the direction of your life, right? Because you took that action. And so I would just say, Think of one action you can take to move yourself in a positive direction. And then when you get there, it does, don't make it a massive action. Don't take it something that you're going to have to go, you know, spend your lifetime trying to do. What's the one step in front of you? Take that one step. And when you arrive there, figure out what's that next step. Because miracles find you while you're in motion. That's, that's my one key piece of advice here. I think that's brilliant. And as you were saying it, about, you know, one thing you can do, because I think, you know, just one thing, if life's really overwhelming, you're not realistic, you're gonna change it all at once, but do that one thing. So like, if you're not happy with your body weight, then, you know, start to change what you have for breakfast. If you're not happy with your relationship, you lost that spark, you know, start with one date night a week. And I just love that. Yeah, just start, where can you start that one positive change today? Yeah. And bless you, you're offering a free download, aren't you, of your book. So if we send I people am. over to tonyloyd.com, but we're gonna spell that because I'm sure you've had a lifetime of people spelling your name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So my, my name is Tony Lloyd, but my last name is spelled with one L. So it's T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D. Uh, and if they go to TonyLloyd.com, uh, right in the middle of the page, there's a big green button. It just says, download the book for free. So I, I have this book I mentioned, uh, Crazy Good Advice. It's a best-selling book, did very well. I am quite blessed by this book and um, people can just download the electronic copy of it for free if they'd like. So just click the green button and, and you'll get the book. Thank you so much. I'll be clicking away. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Lloyd, you've been absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you, Shelley. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight. Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight 
and you've been amazing.